0: Well today we're starting a new mini mini series. I know that uh, many of you who call Radiant Home you know that we've been going through the book of John. Uh, periodically we take breaks from John and I thought after the last message 2 weeks ago that we were at a good stopping point. Jesus prays the priestly prayer and kind of brings the upper room discourse to a close. And so the the series we're going to go into is on the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. It's been on my heart and my mind and you're not going to believe this, but for the next four weeks, we're going to look at eight verses, which is hard to believe when you consider the last time I spoke two weeks ago, we, we did a sermon on the entire chapter 17 of John. We're going to look at the same eight verses and take it really slow. Like my wife eats a candy bar. I don't know about you, but I eat a candy bar in about two seconds, and my wife takes one little corner piece, and it takes about two weeks. So we're going to do like a Heather sermon series here on the armor of God. And I didn't know this when I decided, hey, John 17 is a good stopping point. Let's do something that is on my heart and my mind that I wanted to to get into. I didn't know how timely it would be for me. As many of you know, I missed last week's service because I was in Florida with my daughter. She's preparing to to move away and and go to college. We had an evening flight back on Saturday night, and I found myself at a connecting airport. I won't call out uh, cities or airlines, so I'm going to keep the... Uh, names anonymous to protect their identity. But does it really matter what airline or what city? We land into a city, we have a late night flight coming back to Indianapolis, and my flight's pushed back, it's pushed back again, then finally they cancel it. And by the time we send a, a mammoth line to get things booked and rearranged, it's past midnight, and I have an early morning check in, so I look at my daughter and I say, Well, actually, I was watching hotels disappear as well, because there was hundreds of people in this airport, and I realize, We're gonna, we're gonna. See The night in the airport. Now, notice I didn't say we're going to sleep in the airport because there's a difference between spending the night in the airport and sleeping in the airport. I I tried, but I did not sleep in the airport. I spent the night in the airport. So I come in Sunday afternoon. We missed an awesome service last week with the baptism, and I uh, landed in Indianapolis to discover that my luggage did not make it. You see, the airline had rebooked me on a different airline, and we had to fly to another time zone to come back to this time zone. Craziness. My air, my luggage didn't make it to Indianapolis, but it got really close. It made it to Louisville. That's close. And so tired, very very tired. I go to bed Sunday evening, looking forward to what Monday morning is to be. Monday we had a staff meeting that planned out. We've been praying about it. We've been thinking about it. Planning the next twelve to eighteen months here at Radiant. Let's let's get our calendar. We did this back in twenty nineteen. And I promise you, in February or March of 2020, when everything shut down, the, the calendar literally fell off the wall. It was very symbolic. So this time we used extra tape, put that on the wall, and it was this big meeting that we're going to walk into, and I wake up Monday morning still exhausted to discover that our kids are playing football. There's all kinds of schedule, re, you know, logistics with my children. There was, uh, my luggage is not here. I don't have... Uh, the things I would need to get ready for the day, as well as um, let's just say that my wife and I were trying to manage that morning and we didn't see eye to eye, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I have a, I have a team of ladies who faithfully pray for me in this church. I know a lot of you faithfully pray for me, but I have a, a group chat and I sent a message to these this group and I said, would you please pray for me? We have a big day direction of this church, and I don't want the devil to win. So I come to the church, and I sit right here in my seat, and I take my Bible, and I try reading, and I try praying. And have you ever those times when you're praying, and it seems like you're talking to the wall, or you're reading, and it feels like you just read the same words over and over again? And I walked in the staff meeting, and I was grumpy, and I was irritable. You could ask my staff, don't say amen, don't smile that big either, Lorana where's Risa? I had a cup of coffee, and she's like, you should get another cup of coffee. (laughs) My attitude stunk, and quite honestly, walking into one of the most important staff meetings that we will have this year as a church, I felt like the devil was winning, and I know some of you are thinking, I know days like that, or is it just me? You've had days like that? Man, it feels like the devil's winning. Well, that's because the devil wants to win. He wants to Create havoc, and he wants to destroy the things that God would want to do in our life and in, in and through us. But fortunately, God has provided for the battle, which is this armor of God passage. So, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter six? We're going to take a look starting in verse ten. Now, as you turn, let me give you some background uh, because we're not working through the entire book of Ephesians. I, I you know, I don't have one of those introductory uh, things. So, some real quick background: Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, likely when he was in prison, AD 62, and he's in Rome, and it's a church that he knew really, really well. You read through the book of Acts, chapter 18, 19, and 20, that he was there for a time after his, at the end of his second missionary journey. He came back at the beginning of his third missionary journey, spent three years there, and when he's finally going back to Jerusalem, knowing he'll never see them again, gets close, calls the elders from, from uh, Ephesus, meets them in Miletus, and says his farewells. His purpose, unlike a lot of other letters that Paul writes, is not to correct a doctrinal fault or or some sort of behavioral issue. He's writing really to say, this is how you live in light of what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, the passage we're going to read is very familiar. I I recognize that. You learned it as many of you, if you grew up in church, learned this as a kid. Uh, Maybe you sing a song about it. Is there a song about this? No, that's the Lord's army song. Never mind. You didn't sing a song about this. But if you think about where Paul is writing this from, very likely at times chained to a Roman soldier, he's drawing the imagery of what he's seeing of of the equipment and the armor that this guy has that that prepares him to stand his ground, to hold off uh, an advance. And he's saying, you know what, in a very similar way, God gives us his armor. I think it's really important before we get to our text to kind of, because we haven't been working through this book to give you a really bird's-eye overview of what leads us up to this point because it's absolutely connected to where we're going. Chapter 2 of of Ephesians, Paul talks about God bringing unity. Jews and Gentiles unexpectedly, inexplicitly united in love and unity. That, That doesn't happen in that world at that time. Chapter Three, God intends for this this unity that shows up to, to show off His wisdom, like God is showing off when the Jews and Gentiles get together, right? Chapter Four: that there's a supernatural community that brings um, this change where people will love one another with humility and gentleness, patience and graciousness. And then in five and six, he takes this changed this, this, this changed these people who are changed to love one another and says hey, this is how it changes your relationships. The work of God in your life changes your relationships. Husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves. Then he starts talking about the armor of God. And it seems like he's changing subjects all of a sudden. And you're going, I don't understand what's going on. Did he just like, just have like a sidetrack thought? No, he was talking about everyday Christian life. And he continues to speak about everyday Christian life. He's like, he's saying this, you know, that stuff I said about marriage, about parenting, about communication, about anger, about the church, it's all one spiritual battle. The things that I, I, was, I was instructing and teaching, those things don't happen in a vacuum. God's work in your life, changing you to love and to be in unity. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in a place where there is an enemy who's trying to stop it. Now, that's a sobering thought. And before we get to our text, I think it's important to say one thing. We already won. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus Christ has won the victory on our behalf, in our place. And while victory is assured, that's a great thing. We don't have to, like, fear this enemy, but we have to respect him. We're going to see that in a moment. The victory is assured, but there's still a battle. While Satan can't win the war, he's not going down without a fight He wants to destroy your life. He wants to turn you and your heart away from God. And if he can't have your soul, he's going to go after your joy. If he can't have your soul, he's going to go after your peace or your family or your honor or your influence or your Christian witness. He wants to stop the work of God in your life. And that's why God has given us his armor. Once again... We're going to look at this passage, we're going to read this entire passage, but we're only going to look at the first few verses because it's going to take, we're going to take it nice and slow like a heather sack chocolate bar. Read with me in Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on all of God's armor so that you can be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers, everywhere. So let's take a look at this, just the very first few verses. I mean, here's here let me just spoil the fun. We're starting a sermon series on the armor of God. We're not even going to talk about the armor today. We're looking at verses 10 through 13. Start with me in verse 10. The call is to be strong. Now, Paul is not saying be strong. He's not saying man up. He's not saying look deep inside yourself and and be strong. Like, you don't strengthen yourself. Something outside of you strengthens you. Like, our bodies are strengthened by food. Our resolve is strengthened by a good pep talk. What else? Our car is strengthened with gas. You know what I'm saying. He's saying you are strengthened by the Lord. But he's not saying you're strengthened by the Lord. What's he saying? Be strong in the Lord. Now, this is the language of John chapter 15, which I know I, I promised we're like done with for the moment with the book of John, but I can't let the vine and branches go. Be strong in the Lord. This, there is a union with Christ where Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Be strong in the Lord because it's the branches that bear the fruit of the branches. No, the branches bear the fruit of the vine. Be strong. In the Lord, so Christians are strengthened in His person, but not just His person. Keep reading the verse with me, and His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Christians are strengthened in His person, but we are also strengthened in His resources. This idea of His mighty power. Paul has already talked about this in the very beginning of this book of Ephesians, chapter one, verse nineteen. Let me read that to you. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same power, the mighty power, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So the call there is to be strengthened. But how do we, how are we strengthened by his person and his resources? That's verse 11, put on all of God's armor. The imperative put on in the the, the Greek is is, is structured in a way, because you have Greek root words and then you do different things to it to make it say different things. It's it's structured in a way that says, hey, you are responsible as a Christian to put on this armor. Fun fact, I had a kid in my youth group in Kansas City that would say fun fact and give us random stuff, Vladimir. Anyway, uh, fun fact, Paul's audience, the church in Ephesus, this is not totally a new concept to them. Now, if you know anything about the first century and where Ephesus is, it's in what we call Turkey today, modern Turkey. Uh, it's just right across the Aegean Sea from Greece. But prior to Jesus coming on the scene, prior to Paul his missionary journeys, the, the, the Greek... Culture and the Greek Empire uh, really—they spread. They took over a whole bunch of things, and the Romans took over after the Greeks. But that Greek thing stayed. The language stayed. That's why the New Testament's written in Greek. So there's this Greek culture, even though they're not literally in what we call Greece, but it's—it's a Greek town in the first century in Ephesus. So this idea of a god giving armor to a mighty hero—it's not a big deal. It's something that they've heard before. There is a uh, Greek god named lump or something like that. Heffa something tus. There is a Greek god who is the god of fire and forges. I don't know my Greek mythology like I probably should. But he's the one who crafted weapons and armor for like for the different, the different Greek gods. Listen to this. The arrows of Apollo, the knife of Perseus, the thunderbolts of Zeus, the armor and shield of Achilles, the quiver of Hercules. So for this audience, they're like, God has armor for you. Kind of a, okay, we... we we have some kind of cultural understanding of this idea. Then Paul goes on and says, here's why you put the armor on, in order to stand against the strategies of the devil. The Greek word stand here is histemi. And if you're really bad at learning languages and you went to seminary, you have to find out ways to remember stuff. I remember it because it sounds like he hissed at me. Stand your ground. <laughs> histemi. Shows up in this passage again and again. And I read the passage, and you saw it at least twice, but it shows up there another time. We'll get there in a moment. But it's repeated in this passage, so it must be important somehow, some way, right? So I looked up the definition of histamine. You know what it says? You know what it means? It means to stand. That's it. Like, I thought I already understood that from the English translation. They translated it, stand. Go figure. It means to Stand. Which is kind of weird when you're like, put on God's armor and stand. That's not put on God's armor and march. Put on God's armor and assault, and invade, plunder, marauder. Is that a, I don't know. It's just stand. It's just stand. Which is interesting if you do like, depending on the translation you have. I write out a New Living Translation because I think it, it's very clear. It's really you know, we have people of all ages. There's some clarity to the language, but if you have more of, of a dynamic, or that's more of a dynamic translation. If you have more of like a formal equivalent, like the ESV or NASB, your Bible probably says something along the lines of, um, throughout, well, throughout so far in, in chapters four and five, you see Paul talk about the Christian life as a walk. Now the NLT misses it because they want to be accurate and clear, which is true, but they miss the kind of the play on walk. Walk, walk. And suddenly in verse 6 or chapter 6, it's stand. Let me let me let me show you. Ephesians chapter 4, 1. I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of your calling. Ephesians 4 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Ephesians 5 1, walk in love. Ephesians 5 8, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5:15, look carefully then how you walk. But he closes with, Now put on God's armor and stand. It's not an accident. It's not just a coincidence. There's a purpose to it, and it should grab our attention. One commentator says this, Christians are not to attack Satan or advance against him. They are to only stand and hold the territory that Christ and his body, the church, have conquered. The land we possess is because of Christ's victory. Put on armor and stand. Put on God's armor and stand. The the work that God has done in your life, he has done in your life. Stand your ground. Not in your own strength, not in your own armor, but in his. And I know we haven't talked about the details of the armor. We're going to get there. I had to make this last for four weeks, right? But as we look, starting next week in verse 14, as we look at the descriptions of this armor, you're going to see that the armor really is defensive armor. For the most part, it's about standing our ground, holding our ground for what Christ has won for us. Verse 12. Now he takes some time and he talks about the enemy. Why we're to put our armor so we could we could stand our ground against the, the the schemes of the of the of the devil, against the strategies. Verse 12, he says, you know, this isn't a physical fight. It's not against flesh and blood, it's a spiritual conflict. Listen to the last half of verse 12, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, evil rulers and authorities, Paul's already mentioned earlier in the book of Ephesians, but now he adds mighty powers of the dark world and evil spirits of heavenly places. And it would be really easy as a pastor to to run down a trail to chase those and say, let's get all the details about those, but Paul doesn't even give us details and describe it. Because that's not Paul's point. He's not saying, here's the full scouting report. What he's saying is this. He's saying, don't underestimate the power that's working against you and working against what God has done and is doing in you, where you love one another in graciousness and humility, where you have a different relationship than you once did, father and son, husband and wife. There is an enemy. Don't underestimate him. Jesus calls the enemy the ruler of this world. Satan, the ruler of this world in the book of John. So John later on in 1 John says this, the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Paul's point is, don't let this invisible battle cause you to take the enemy lightly. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, Satan is not like that that Hollywood depiction of a guy in a red suit sitting in some cave on a stone throne with some flames in the background. According to that passage, he's wandering the earth. John chapter 8, 44 says that Satan is a liar. Revelation chapter 20 says that Satan is an accuser and a deceiver. The ruler of this world, as Jesus says in the book of John. But do you know what Jesus says in the book of John? we were just there a few weeks ago, John chapter 14, verse 20. He says, the ruler of the the world approaches, here's the good news, you should be saying amen on this, but he has no power over me. See, when you're strong in the Lord and dressed in his armor, all you have to do is stand. When you're strong in the Lord and dressed in his armor, all you have to do is stand. I think I, I kind of, hear words like spiritual warfare, and I hear words like, you know, put on the armor of God, and it was always action-oriented, like I'm going to go do something, but it's God's armor. And once we get into those things, you're going to see that he has equipped us so that we can hold our ground against what the enemy would do, that we could stand. Verse 13, he, he comes back to this idea of standing, and he says, therefore, therefore is based on verse 12, here's the enemy, therefore... Put on God's armor. Let me say it once again, is what Paul's saying, so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. See, Paul repeats the call to put on God's armor. And then he says, then you'll be able to resist. Some of your Bibles say withstand. That same word, histemi, is just in a different form. So it's now it's withstand. So stand, stand, withstand. It's all there. And he says, put it on and stand. When you're strong in the Lord and dressed in his armor, all you have to do is stand. I mentioned that we're gonna look at this passage for the next three weeks, and we're just kind of introducing it here. Before we look at these these, these pieces of, of God's armor that He's given us and resourced us with to stand our ground. I thought it's important that we simply, right up front, say our job is to put it on and to stand. Normally I would say, here's some takeaways. Here's something you should do. Here's, here's, here's a, an imperative to go and do this. And I think it's kind of, it'd be kind of arrogant of me to come here and give you my own imperative when Paul gives us to put on God's armor and stand. So what should you do about this? Put on God's armor and stand. And I know we haven't broken down each of these these things yet. We're going to get there. But I think I'm saying that because I think it's important for you to understand that we who are putting this armor on, we live between the already and the not yet. You see, Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice. The Holy Spirit has come to reside inside each of us. But the work of God in you and through you and for you has not yet been completed. We are already righteous and holy, it's imputedness, imputed righteousness. What, what Christ has done and declared of us is true, but yet, oh, and we're set free from sin, but yet we still have a sin issue. We are already, not yet, we're kind of in the middle. We are already a new creation, but we're not yet fully transformed to the image of the Son. So the battle still rages. And the battle for those of us who are putting on the armor takes place actually in our heart and our mind see you live your life as do I every day in the middle of this battle and it's a battle of doubt and faith it's a battle of submission and rebellion it's a battle of anxiety and trust wisdom and foolishness hope and despair it's a battle of allegiance and disloyalty. There's a battle there because there's two competing kingdoms. The simple fact that we live between the already and not yet means that sin still, we still have a sin issue and because of that, there's competing kingdoms. Each day I wake up torn between the little kingdom of self and the kingdom of God and his plans and purposes. And you know this is true of you when you recognize just how tempting it is, and maybe you don't even recognize it's tempting, it's just the way we live our life, that we want our own way, we want to live by our own rules, that we value comfort and pleasure over the, I mean, we, we will do anything for comfort and pleasure, especially North American Christians. We value that more than our standing with God. We're more excited about the things of this world than the simple fact that we have become children of God. We complain when trials come our way that God would use to shape us and and make us more like His Son. And then we give God credit for His faithfulness only when things work out in our favor. Oh, God's faithful because things worked out the way I wanted it to work out. See, the enemy is clever. We want to blame the devil for for the guy that cut us off in traffic. But the devil got the first blow in this battle way back when in the garden. And it, wasn't just a, it wasn't just a blow to Adam and Eve which is in the text of Genesis it wasn't just a blow theologically uh, to humanity where we're born into sin and we are, we are separated from God it was a blow to you personally because you came into this world as did I dead set on your kingdom come and your will be done so let me revisit my opening story I text my prayer group and said listen you gotta pray for me I don't want the devil to win, but the way I was defining devil was my circumstances. The devil is an American, I mean, an airline. The devil is in the schedule that we have to run today. The devil is not in my wife, but the truth is, the battle that's raging inside of me was in my heart and mind, and I don't want the devil to win. I was the one who needed prayer not because of those things outside of me but because of me. Not that the devil was in me but there's that war that's raging inside our heart and our mind. There's that kingdom of Jerome. Those other things out there they're just kind of triggers that bring to the surface where my true allegiance lies and that's to self. Put on God's armor stand if you're not a christian here today this this message was totally geared to christians because it's based on the fact that we have the victory in christ it's based on the fact that that we are still living between the already and the not yet and the message of jesus is this that we are we are born selfishly we just described my kingdom come my will be done Jesus Christ, the Logos, the one who was there at creation, takes on flesh, lives, walks amongst his creation, dies a death in our place, on our behalf. And if we put our trust in him. We believe in him. That we can be made right, right relationship, right standing with God. And all it needs is just for you to believe and call on him. I call it crossing the line of faith. You could do that right now in your seat. You could do that when you drive home today. But maybe you would say, hey, I've been sitting here thinking. I've been listening to sermons week after week and I think it's time to cross that line. Some of you are like, oh, I think I crossed that line last week. It happens that way. We have elders in this church and a prayer team that came forward. I'm not gonna ask them to come up again, but you saw them up here. If you'd like someone to pray with you, catch them. They're here for you to to pray with you off to the side. I I would pray with you, but I have to shake hands and smile and kiss babies at the door. Let me close with just a preview of where we're going. We're putting on God's armor, and we're going to stand. Simply stand. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's where we're going. As you consider this text over this next week, as we prepare our hearts for what we'll look at next Sunday. Let this let this let this stew a little bit. Stand your ground. Look at that. He starts again in verse 14. We didn't even talk about that today. He starts again with stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to have the hope because of your son Jesus Christ who took our place on the cross and we have life and yet... While you have already done a work, we still wait for the completion of that. We live between the already and the not yet. And as we do, there is a battle. There is an enemy that would want to take us out, but if, if, if he can't take us out, he wants to make life really messy. To destroy our influence, our honor, our witness, our homes. Help us, Lord, in this this series to fully grasp what it is that you have indeed provided for us, your resources, that we may be strong in you and the power of your might. As we leave this place, Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name.